A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, a podcast about Watford Football Club where we bring you news, tactical analysis and a good old natter about the topic that we love most, Watford Football Club. My name is Matt Messiano and coming up on the show we talk to the BBC T sports journalist Rob Lowe about Middlesbrough and the likely Borough team to face Watford on Friday as well as his score prediction for the game. But first... We got chatting to former WD Sport and Watford Observer journalist Tom Bodell to discuss all things Watford FC. So, Tom, thanks for joining me on the very first ever Watford Buzz podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, Matt. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for getting me on. So let's dive straight into it then. Uh, Watford had a pre-season friendly a few days ago, and uh, I think before the match there was a bit of pre-game nerves feeling about it, particularly with <laughs> some fans still having a bit of a relegation hangover. And also, judging by some comments I've read, not that infused by the transfer business the club has done so far. But that side that was picked by new boss Vladimir Ivic went out there and surprised a few of us, fans and journalists alike. And, well, they played pretty well, to be honest, Tom, against a decent Spurs side, it has to be said. Yeah, and I was among the dissenting voices, if or maybe dissenting is a bit uh, overdoing it. But <laughs> I did retweet when I saw the team news, someone else's. Uh, tweet Watford Talk who said no Suarez Saar quarantine Capoo Welbeck Foster Messina Cathcart Hughes and plus more I've probably forgotten concerning question mark and I did I did kind of feel that he was on something there um, very kind of unfamiliar looking team wasn't it um, you know some guys that were obviously well versed in at this stage Cavasale Dawson Chalabar Cleverly and uh, Andre Gray up front, but a lot of the other players, you know, guys that have either returned to the club this summer, new signings, or people have just been out of the picture completely. So I have to admit, I was a bit kind of apprehensive, not for the game itself against Tottenham, I had no expectations. It's obviously a pre-season friendly, you don't hold too much store by these things. But I did think, uh, you know, with the season at that point, just under a week away, it didn't bode particularly well but obviously came through with a very good result and from the the highlights that I've seen um the club provided the extended highlights that the club provided I thought there was a lot to be pretty positive about wasn't there um you know kept the ball very well moved the ball very well good movement out of possession as well and just looked very kind of slick and fluid and confident wanted to attack and take the game to a you know Tottenham side that obviously will be in the Premier League this season and uh, had some pretty big names in the team, Hyungbin Son, Deli Ali, of course, among them. And you wouldn't have necessarily known it was a, a championship side trying to find its feet and kind of 
reset ahead of the new season against a very established Premier League team on on that viewing. So I was reasonably uh, reasonably impressed and you know a bit of humble pie I suppose for me and I'm sure as you rightly say a few others uh, come full time. Yeah, I, I definitely remember quite a few tweets saying Andre Gray up front. Yeah. Are you joking? But uh, I mean, he, uh, alongside a number of other players, had a very good game. And um, I wrote down a couple of words after the game. Organised was yeah. one, confident another, and putting a shift in as well, which is something I haven't seen uh, from Watford for a little while. And it was really pleasing to see a side that had been put together and just really seemed like they were playing for the new the new boss. And I think there was one particular video that was doing the rounds where... Um, yeah. Uh, Spurs had just won the ball back and they were lumping it forward and all of a sudden there was a, a whole load of Watford players streaming back to try and uh, get that ball away from danger and uh, it just it brought a whole world of um, pride to my heart to see players playing like the sh- <laughs> like that for the shirt and uh, yeah it was it was definitely it, it was definitely putting a shift in wasn't it what, what else impressed you in that game I think the uh, the fact that they've kind of adapted to what Ivic wanted you know so quickly and in such limited game time obviously this has been one of the kind of complaints I think and again I'll put my hands up and say that I've been one of those shouting about this but the lack of kind of communication from the club about friendlies now they have kind of publicised that they've been two friendlies obviously the Spurs game that we're talking about now and the previous weekend against Scunthorpe United which was very much kind of billed as a Watford 11 by the club and there were no updates or anything really after the game um, no match report until a day or so later and you know very limited very light on detail so I'm sure they've been playing other games unofficial games that we don't know about at the training ground and, and, and so on or maybe internal kind of friendlies there are certainly enough players to do that at the moment um, but if we work on the basis that there have been two games and they've you know kind of got up to speed with what Ivic wants this quickly and with so many new guys coming into the side if you look at that team that Faced Spurs, you've got a new signing in Ngakia, a new keeper in Daniel Bachman, Ben Wilmot and, and Purvis Estepina have both obviously come back from loan spells elsewhere. Tom Deli Bashiru and, and Domingos Kina weren't really involved last season. And even, you know, the, the midfield two of Cleverly and Shalabov, very experienced players, but being asked to play a different style of football and a, you know, different a way of uh, of approaching things when out of possession and so on. And they've they've evidently kind of gotten on board and, and, and worked hard to uh, to meet Ivic's demands. And I think he's certainly someone who uh, you wouldn't want to uh, displease, I, I, I dare say, based on the pictures and footage of him from pre-season so far. Yeah, he doesn't look like a happy chap. No, <laughs> but I think that's what they need. It's a, you know, there's a serious point in that as well. But uh, for too long, I think we've had people in charge who have been maybe lacking the authority to really put their foot down and, and know that they have the club's backing. But Nigel Pearson probably wasn't one of those, but others maybe. I think, you know, it's a clean slate now, isn't it? And and a new man that the club have got full faith in. He starts the season, he has, albeit truncated pre-season behind him. You know, this is kind of forget what's in the past and best foot forward. And I think someone who is going to lead from the front and set very clear expectations and, and very clear demands of himself and his staff and the team is is exactly what we've been crying out for for a while. So you mentioned some of the players there that featured in that game. Let's delve into a little bit about some of their performances. I think, I think 
one of the first people that you always look to is the goalkeeper. And Daniel Backman was in for Ben Foster. And um, mm. he also played half of the game against Scunthorpe as well. So he's had more pre-game time than Ben Foster. And, and this is the first time that we properly got to see him play other than a few cup games last season where he didn't particularly yeah. shine. But in this last Spurs fixture, he, um, he he really stood out, didn't he? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because suddenly we've gone from having, uh, you know, four senior goalkeepers, uh, use senior in the loosest possible sense, but obviously Ben Foster and Jorelio Gomez being the, the main two and then Daniel Bachmann and uh, Pontus Dahlberg underneath them and Again, oh God, I sound awful here, but you know uh, something I've criticised the club for in the past is seemingly having no real plan for these goalkeepers. When we signed Pontus Dahlberg, it was very yeah. much a kind of this guy is young, he's exciting, he's highly rated, he is the future. It wasn't quite clear why they'd signed Daniel Backman. He'd already played a bit in this country out on loan from Stoke City, and then you had two older, you know, very clearly senior goalkeepers. But obviously this summer there's been a bit of a clear out in that sense with Jorelio Gomez leaving and Pontus Dahlberg moving on so it's, it's pretty clear to me that Backman's going to be the number two they evidently rate him highly enough to do that job and, and push Ben Foster at least some of the way and be the guy that will step in if he gets injured or suspended um, hopefully not he's had a very good record since he returned to the club in, in terms of availability but you know that's a lot of responsibility to put on someone who although he's had loan spells hasn't you know, played heaps of senior football and he's in his he's kind of 25, 26 now, I think I'm right in saying. And as, as you rightly touched on, hasn't filled us with confidence in the past. So I think that, you know, his, his showing against Spurs was probably exactly what we needed as fans to, uh, to, to, to instill a bit of more confidence in us about his capabilities going forward. Yeah, I think he's probably still being viewed as the, the backup option for this season. But uh, yeah, he, he certainly proved in that game that he... He has the abilities to, 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 to defend his goal better than perhaps we, we gave him credit for. There was one moment in particular when uh, I think it might have been Son broke through and, and had a shot on goal mm. and he, he did really well to turn that one away from from yeah. close range. Uh, and, and also it's clear to me at least that uh, Ivic has been uh, tasking him with distributing the ball from his feet out towards his defenders rather than shooting it long, which is something that we've often seen foster and also... Um, to be honest, Gomez doing as well. So there's clearly a, a change in tactics as well from the from the new manager. Yeah, and I think that's probably not before time either because in the past we have had a, a, a reliance and over-dependence on Ben Foster's distribution, which let's not, you know, let's not get away from the fact it's very good, his distribution. But, you know, Foster going uh, long to Deeney and, a, you know, it's quite easy to defend against when you know exactly what they're going to, do and I think if the emphasis is now on playing out from the back and I've got no doubt that Ben Foster can do that as well then that I would say that has to be a good um, you know that has to be a good thing because we need to be you know multifaceted and we've been a bit one-dimensional in the past so I think that's you know something that feeds into what we're saying about kind of a bit more dynamic and a bit more I don't know, just a bit more front foot. You know, I was I was encouraged by what I saw, and uh, that was that was very welcome. So ahead of Buckman, uh, Ivic went for Dawson Cabaselli and Ben Wilmot, and uh, I was particularly impressed with the performance of Wilmot, who has been away on loan for for Swansea, and he, he started several games there. 
And then he's come back and he looks like a, a completely different mm. player. Yeah, he looks like a real player, doesn't he? I think um, when we signed him from Stevenage, he was very young. He'd only kind of played, I think he'd only just got into kind of double figures at Stevenage um, prior to his arrival here. But, you know, Javi Garcia threw him in and he did fairly well, but flicks between midfield and centre-half. And then obviously uh, spent some time on loan at Udinese, which, you know, I don't know how beneficial that was in terms of playing time, but I'm sure he learned a lot from training uh, with guys of that calibre in, in Italy. And then last season, injury disrupted, but was on loan at Swansea and got a reasonable number of games and was seemingly very highly rated by the Swansea fans that I've seen on Twitter. And obviously taking Twitter as your barometer isn't always for the best, but um, you know they, they seem to be very encouraged by how well he'd done. I suspect had we not gone down, they would have probably quite liked him uh, back for another season but their loss is our is our gain and he you know another one who looks very composed and kind of an old head on on young shoulders I guess for uh, for want of a better phrase yeah I wouldn't be surprised if he is being viewed as a starter for Middlesbrough Mm. but we'll get onto that in a bit because I wanted to get onto the midfield and the obvious player that stood out there was Juan Domingos Quina and having just lost a very talented attacking midfielder in Abdullah Decore. Could Queen be the answer for Watford, Tom? Different kind of role, different kind of position, but this is his year, isn't it? I think um, it, we've all been fairly excited by him for a while now. And I, times last season, I just thought, you know what? We're so wretched. Why not throw the kid in and give him a chance? You know, he's shown in limited moments um, what he can do. He had a nice little run in the side under Javi Garcia. Scored a really nice goal, as I recall, against Cardiff City. And, you know, no little talent. That much was evident. He just thought he's something different. He's got a nice low centre of gravity. He's a ball carrier. He can drop a shoulder and and slalom past a man. He would be, you know, add something a bit different and a bit of unpredictability to our um, midfield. But I think this season we're going to see him. He seems to have featured heavily in those games. And obviously scored a lovely goal against Tottenham. Played very, very well. And I, I... I always read into um, things like the club using players around their media kind of output um, and the fact that he's been kind of front and centre of a lot of stuff suggests to me that they know he is going to be heavily involved this season and I, I think that's something that a lot of us are looking uh, looking forward to with a great, great deal of excitement because if he makes good on the promise he's shown then we've got a, a hell of a player and I will say um, I, I in a piece I wrote last season, a Premier League prediction piece, which I did horribly on, obviously. Um, he was the player I picked out to be one of the breakout stars, and obviously through Watford tinted specs, of course. But uh, you know, my faith in him is is long standing, if not misplaced. Yeah, and he's certainly got a good crack on him as well, hasn't he? He knows how to find well, yeah. the goal. That's it, absolutely. And uh, we need someone like yeah. that. We've not had someone like that for. Um, Alman Abdi could shoot he could have a bang from distance couldn't he Matty Spring mm. a few years ago Richard Johnson before yeah. that you know fans love that sort of player don't they so no I think he's going to be a lot of fun this season yeah he hasn't scored a single bad goal yet no keep them coming Domingos uh, so alongside him in midfield in that game against Spurs he was playing with Tom Cleverley Chalabar and Tom Deli Bashiru some um stuck their head above the parapet more than others. I think I was particularly impressed with the fact that Tom Cleverley coming back from um, from sort of an injury that he had previously and he hasn't really had a great run in the side 
recently he he looked like a real leader out there and he was battling for everything and he he had been given the captain's armband for that game and um I'm not surprised to be honest because he he really proved his, his leadership qualities out there and I think he showed everyone that uh, he still definitely got it. Yeah, I like Tom Cleverley. I have to say, you know, he's probably not the player we remember from his first spell at Watford, is he? You know, that year under, uh, it must be Malky Mackay, wasn't it, where he came in on loan yeah. from Manchester United and he was, you know, he was electric, wasn't he, in a lot of games. Him and, and Henry Lansbury were the real difference makers that year. He's ch- his role has changed a lot, you know. He's much kind of more of a deep lying kind of breaks up play a bit, moves the ball on. And I think, you know, he is real kind of kind of midfielder you need at this level to, you know, I don't know if the Premier League is necessarily his level these days. Games tended to pass him by a bit, but I will say a bit like Nathaniel Chalabar, he never really got that run that he uh, needed to find consistency. But I think at this level, he's a very steady kind of hand on the, on the on the steering wheel and he will just keep things ticking over in there break up the play a bit he can get forward if needs be but he's not gonna do anything particularly uh adventurous i think a lot of the time i like i like him in there i would like to see someone maybe a little bit more mobile a little bit more dynamic next to him uh in a in a three-man midfield i think that you know keener's going to be the one that pushes on assuming he plays regularly or um Potentially, you have uh, you have two pay- players behind the front man, as we did against Spurs on on Saturday, and you can almost have um, have four in there, two sitting and, and and two kind of tucking in and getting around the central forward. So I think that is the the interesting thing, as well as a wider point in this system of um, of the, the new head coach, which is um, you know it's flexible. He wants three at the back. That much is clear. But with that, you can do so much. You can have you know, you can go with the three-four-three three that he's evidently played with in the past. Have wing backs, have kind of inside forwards ahead, or you can do what we did at the weekend and have the the kind of three-three-four-two-one, uh, uh, three, uh, or even go three-four-one-two. You know, so I think it gives him a lot of options. Uh, you know, horses for courses. So I think it's going to be. Um, it's going to be interesting and, and cleverly, I would expect to be a big, big part of that. And especially as well, I realise this is a very long point already, but if Troy Deeney does ultimately move on, you know, he is someone who will help set the standards and, and, and the dressing room culture and really kind of drag everyone along with him, I think, as, a, as an experienced head England international of, you know, probably 30 or 40 caps and, and a Premier League title winner and so on. Yeah, you are. Uh... You're probably right there. You, you've mentioned a couple of formations that uh, that Watford could probably look to play in. And, and in most of those, what's evident to me is that the wing play is going to be so important. And Watford have brought in a couple of wingers, uh, one from uh, on loan and, and one from West Ham, who really look exciting in, in, in Gakira and Estupanan. And uh, they, they played they played against Spurs and they, they really got up and down the channels quickly and they, they were really exciting. Yeah, they were, weren't they? I think um, Ngakia, we saw a little glimpse last season, didn't we, when he broke into the West Ham team. And I have to say, I always thought that right back was a position where they were quite weak, to be honest, with Pablo Zabaleta and Ryan Fredericks. So I was surprised that he almost didn't play more or play sooner. But, you know, he looked good in limited appearances for them. So when we signed him, it was exciting. You have to assume that if he's come here, he's come here on the the proviso that he's going to be 
in first team contention, which is which is good. He you know he looks really confident and comfortable on the ball, and the little pass he played into. Um, well, it wasn't little, but the ball he played into Kino right at the start of the second half is, you know, as prime kind of Philip Lahm, Joshua Kimmich stuff, wasn't it? Just kind of clipped it round and took out about five or six men, um, you know, from from his own half to find the run of Kina. So really exciting prospect he is. And I think um, if we lose Kiko Feminier, he's someone who doesn't seem to be, and I'm basing this purely off kind of the club's social media output doesn't seem to be, and his own social media output for that matter, doesn't appear to be around the first-team squad at the moment. Daryl Yamat, I mean, goodness only knows where he is. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of Ngakia, and that it kind of looks like it will go a long way to making up for the loss of Feminia one way or another, who I thought was one of the few players to emerge with any credit from the last, um, last eight or nine games of last season after Project Restart. Uh, on the other side, Estupinen's been, you know, talked about an awful lot uh, from the moment he returned to the club from his loan spell in La Liga last season. And people far more learned than me who watch far more La Liga than me, which isn't hard to do, I must admit. Um, you know, were, were quite happy to say that they felt he was among the best left backs in La Liga. And that was playing with a team in Los Asuna who weren't, you know, kind of great shakes. Um what I, I will what I will say though is I wrote a piece about him. Uh, he was linked with Spurs and Man United and Barcelona even, amongst others. And you know, for a side that finished tenth in the Liga, I thought that was quite you know quite notable. And so I watched a lot of clips of him on Y Scout and looked at his data and you know his absolute dribble monster. You know, like love gets wide, gets high, gets you know gets his head down and just runs at people. And you know, looks like he could be you know really quite an exciting player for us and that's a, that's assuming obviously that he doesn't do so well in the early weeks of the season that a bigger club comes in and makes us an offer we can't turn down but you know it's no coincidence to me that he's been linked with some really you know top top notch sides I think Atletico Madrid might have been another one of those as well so you know if clubs of that ilk are in for him already the, the only way is up and I dare say he won't be with us for long which is a shame but he should be should be fun while it lasts yeah, yeah, we want him to do well, but not too well. Exactly. <laughs> that left side looks pretty decent. And then uh, up top, he uh, Vladimir Ivich, this is he decided to go with Andre Gray, which surprised a few people. But yeah. um, to his credit, he he looked he looked a lot better. And I think it's probably because for the first time in a while, he's been played in a Watford side that was playing towards his strengths. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the 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 telling moment. I think it was quite early in the second half in memory. Ball forward and he, you know, he holds off the defender. I can't remember who the defender was, but holds off the defender and in the end he gets clattered by someone else. But he, you know, he poked the shot wide and in the past you just think he either wouldn't have got that under control or he wouldn't have made the run or he'd have just, you know, shinned it out or something, you know. It's, if he is to stick around, and I think the fact that he's been involved at this stage suggests he is, then it's a bit of a confidence rebuilding job with him, isn't it? I think, you know, he's been badly, I don't think he's a bad player at all. I think he's been badly served by the style of play and, as you say, the fact we've not played to his strengths for you know pretty much the duration of his Watford career. I actually thought the, the best yeah. I ever saw him play was in a two against, I think it was Newcastle towards the end of 17-18 uh, maybe. And at home and him and Troy Deeney played together for the first time either ever or in a long time and they... You know, Newcastle just couldn't live with them. And I thought um, that was, you know, interesting. And that was perhaps 
it's the start of something, uh, you know, for him. But then he's never really had that opportunity. But with Keener and Deli Bashiru in behind him and, you know, getting crosses into the box and giving him the kind of service that he thrives on, he looks an entirely different player. And, yeah, I, I have to assume that the fact that he's been involved means he's he's very much in Vladimir Ivic's plans this season. So to see him in good nick, and he took the penalty very well as well, it should be said. Um, you know, there's reason for some uh, some optimism there, isn't there? Yeah, and it was a decent strike as well from from Gray. Very different to the sort of Troy Deeney style penalties mm. that we're used to, where he just gets his head down and smashes it. This was more of a, a place into the corner. And to be fair to him, Hart went the right way, but it was just a very good penalty. And, and you know, you can't say much about that, really. No, absolutely not. I think um, there's going to be a vacancy on penalty-taking duties as well, isn't there, if <laughs> Deeney leaves, so... Not a bad way to uh, ingratiate yourself to the new manager in that potential role. That's right. And then um, he came off uh, in the second half and Glenn Murray came on. A very different uh, type of striker and one that we've managed to lure away from Brighton on loan. Uh, but mm. he is getting a bit on these days in terms of age. But uh, there wasn't much of a of a sign of that when he was playing out there. Although I suppose he did give away the penalty that ultimately got Tottenham back into the game. So... You know, that that wasn't one uh, good moment for him. But uh, when he did have the ball at his feet, he looked uh, he looked OK. Yeah, he's an interesting signing, isn't he? Because he's not a typical Watford under the Pozzos signing at all, is he? I think, you know, we tend yeah. to, you know, the, 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 I'm sure we'll come on to mention him at some stage, but uh, Stipe Pericha, the, uh, the Udinese striker who's joined us, is much more in keeping with what we'd expect, you know, um, Played in the Pozzo circle previously, uh, come from Serie A, etc., etc. Much more what we'd expect. Glenn Murray is someone we know from this level and from the Premier League and has done a very good job here before. Seemed like a surprising signing because of his age. Yep, absolutely. And also because we have a big, strong target man in Troy Deeney. And it rather suggests that Troy will be on his way or they are planning for life without Troy and, and someone like Murray who knows this division inside out, knows what it takes to score goals at this level is going to be, you know, that kind of plan B. I don't think he's going to be playing every week, of course, at his age, but he does something different. He's an intelligent player and, he, you know, scored a few goals in his run in the team with Brighton last season, even after Graham Potter tried to sort of phase him out. You know, he still was involved in signing new contracts and with them, and I just think he's a smart player, good movement, gets in good areas, holds the ball up well, bring Hazard into play, and he will be that kind of plan B. Um, although at the moment we've got kind of plan B right You're listening to the Watford Buzz podcast. Um, strikers we've got at the club is, is, is frankly ridiculous, and you have to assume that not only Troy, that some others will be, will be moving on before too long. So, Tom, we're back in the championship, Watford, and uh, it's, uh, it's you know, some different teams to the, the likes of Liverpool's and Man City's that we were playing. Mm-hmm. But does it feel does it feel nice to be back in, in some way playing against some of the, you know, the old classic teams in the likes of Nottingham Forest and, and uh, you know, Sheffield Wednesday? And, and, and of course, the team that we've got up first, Middlesbrough at home. Mm. Oh, you know, it, it, it almost feels like there are... 
I don't know, sort of old friends that uh, that, we've, that we've missed and that we're now getting back to see again. And of course, one of the uh, most important fixtures, I think, that everyone looked for first when they, they looked at that fixture list that it came out was where Luton is going to be. Unfortunately, it's it's fallen on a day when it's likely that there's not going to be any fans inside the ground. But still, to play Luton again in a competitive fixture, it's going to be one that uh, most Watford fans won't want to miss. Yeah, old friends that we're happy to see twice and would quite like to leave behind after that, I think, right? Um, um, insight into how I treat my friends there. Uh, yeah, the Luton game can't be a coincidence, can it? I'm, it's been said a lot, but it can't be a coincidence that that game is right at the beginning of the season when there will be no fans at Vicarage Road and uh, potential for trouble is avoided. It's a shame in a lot of ways and it's a Shame as well that it's not on telly. Um, seems kind of stupid, but a bit of an oversight by Sky for me after so many years apart, but it should be a good one. It'd be interesting as well. I think it probably won't be the fixture it would normally be, will it? Because, you know, a lot of that kind of uh, the passion and excitement and, and, and nerves and what have you, the emanates from the stands obviously won't be there for the players. So it'd be very interesting to see how that one is, um, is played out. It might be a considerably calmer and more... Um, you know, normal game than it might otherwise have been, kind of fevered and, and yeah. frenzied after so long apart. Um, in terms of coming back to the championship, I'm excited. I I like this division. It's fun, and I kind of got a bit sick of the Premier League by the end. But that said, <laughs> I, and I will, you know, I will say this: I was, I was, I was quick to kind of share that view when we, you know, it looked likely that we would be relegated when we were relegated. But I will say, having now been out of the Premier League for you know a matter of weeks, I do feel like it, it feels secondary, doesn't it? The Championship, it feels less important. And although this season has the potential to be very exciting and the opportunity to go up and achieve kind of far more than we ever would in the Premier League, um, there's you know the fact that we're not going to be on Match of the Day and we won't have so many games on Sky and. We'll, We'll have to watch our highlights on Quest if we're not at the game or, or through the new Hive Live service. It's just, it's not quite the same, is it? You you want to be up there and picking your fantasy Premier League team and deciding, you know, can I justify squeezing a Watford player in there? You know, you're not got all, it's silly little things like that. It just, it just feels less significant. But all that said, I am very excited about the season. It feels like a, I've said the phrase before and I'm sure we'll say it again, but it does feel like a bit of a clean slate, doesn't it? And the start of something new and exciting. A lot of these younger guys coming back into the fold and um, from loan spells and what have you. It, it, it feels like a new direction. So I'm excited, but ultimately, and as Ivic has kind of said himself, it's it's promotion is the aim and there's no, you know, there's no messing around. It's anything else is failure, really. So uh, the first team up for us is Middlesbrough then at home and that's this Friday and we're looking forward to that one. So uh, you've had a little look at, uh, at uh, the, the, the games we've played behind closed doors and and you've, you've had a little look at the players we've brought in and also the players that we've managed to keep. So uh, what would your starting eleven be for Middlesbrough, Tom? If you if you was Mr Ivic now... And you, you've had a look at everyone. What, what, yeah. what, what, what are you going to go for? It's really tough, isn't it? And I, I said to you before we started recording, I really ummed and ahed over this, and I've probably got three or four different versions of this team. Um, you know, if you were to pick the strongest 11 in terms of calibre of player that is registered as a player for Watford Football Club, um, 
it wouldn't be the team I'm about to read you. But if, no, be a totally different if team. <laughs> we work on the basis, um, if we work on the basis of the guys that we know have actually been involved and are actually part of it, um, I would go with this team. So obviously Ben Foster in goal. Let's see, no reason why he won't be number one. Despite being a little bit down on him earlier, I would say Craig Dawson and Craig Cathcart uh, at centre half flanking Ben Wilmot. I think. Dawson showed, particularly in that Leicester game after the restart, and not just because of his acrobatic goal, but he kind of just did the things that I thought he would do when we signed him. You know, he was in the way of everything, stuck a head, stuck a foot, stuck a knee, whatever it took in the way of things. And he just looked like the kind of no-nonsense, very solid central defender I thought we were getting. Um, And on the other side, you know, I still just about prefer Cathcart over Cabasele. Ben Wilmot, as we've discussed, looks really good, and I, I suspect he uh, will be the the kind of immovable object in that defence for most people. Um, right wing back, it really, it's Ngakia, I think, isn't it? I think, as we touched on earlier, Femenia and Yamat are completely out of the picture for various reasons, and it'll probably, I, if it wasn't him, I would say it'd be more likely it'd be Mark Navarro, who's come back from his loan, I think it was Leganes. Um, mm who would come into the side in his place. And then central midfield is the interesting one because on paper, Hughes and Capu, you'd say they're still here. There's not been a little bit of noise about Capu maybe going to Valencia, but it doesn't seem nailed on like it had done that they would leave. Um, but I suspect we will be going, we'll be running, as I say, with the players that are likely to see out of the season. So for that reason, I think we're basically left with Cleverly and Shalabar, aren't we? It's um, as the yeah. two kind of sitters, um, good players, but as I said earlier, like a little bit more mobility, maybe a little bit more kind of of a ball winner, out and out ball winner in there as well. You know, they can both sort of sit in, but I don't know if they're proper ball winning midfielders either. And it, yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence we've been linked with a few of those. We mentioned earlier you'd you'd love to see a cleverly uh, uh, that was a uh, younger. A younger yes. version of Cleverly. I well, think we absolutely. probably could say the same thing for, for Chalabar as well. A younger version of Chalabar would have been. And, and he's, he's not even an old player, really. Is he? No, is he no, that's Chalabar? it. But, but um, just like Cleverly, when he came to us on loan, uh, he, he was absolutely amazing. That Leicester goal strikes yeah. out as well in, in, in the memory. But yeah. um, he hasn't really ever hit the same heights that he did when he was with us on loan. And I think no. everyone's just really hoping that he does get back to that because, you know, he... he he, he looked a real talented player back then, and I'm sure he's got the ability to 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 you know refine that that ability. It feels like this is. In the, I said earlier, this is Domingos Kino's year, right? This is the year that he's going to come in and be a first team player now and show us, you know, that the promise he's displayed in the last couple of seasons had something else to follow. It's it's also Nathaniel Shalabar's year, in as much as it's now or never. If he does not play 30 plus games you know start 30 plus games this season I should say and does not dominate games and does not display the kind of level of performance that he showed as you rightly say in that promote in that um, 12-13 season under Zola then he's hate to say it because you know gave us so many great memories that Leicester goal of course dying his hair yellow for the Leeds or trying to dye his hair yellow for the Leeds game. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, you know, he gave us so many great memories and it'll feel like abandoning a, a family member or something. But 
if it doesn't happen for him this season, it's never going to happen for him at Watford, I'm afraid. It just isn't. You know, he. I would have advocated sending him out on loan last year, this year, you know, prior to the summer, that is, I should say. He, he, he just needs to go and play 35, 40 games. I hope it's for us. I hope he, you know, really shows us what, what we know is within him this season. Um, but if it doesn't happen now, it's, it's just never going to happen for him. And he, he will have to move on and get football elsewhere, I think. Um, just to round out the centre midfield, Keener, I would like to see him behind a front two, which I'll come on to in a minute. Um, and then on the left of the, the left wing back would be uh, Estupinen, who's been excellent so far by all accounts. And then finally up yeah. front, um, got a little bit of involvement against Scunthorpe, didn't he, Luis Suarez? Uh, basically, he he's in, despite knowing next to nothing about him, except his reputation in Spain <laughs> being very good. Uh, yeah. And Mallorca fans being very annoyed when we recalled him ahead of their playoff. Um, he seems exciting. He's another one that's been linked with bigger clubs. And I just think you look at, the, I mentioned the, the, the sheer number of strikers we've got at the moment. If you say that uh, Success, Sinclair, Peñaranda and Pedro are strikers, then you've got three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten at the club at the moment. You'd reasonably assume that Welbeck, Dini, Sinclair and Success will move on. Peñaranda might do, Pedro might do. I see that Ivic has been very positive on him today, but you know he was being chased by big, big clubs before he joined us and it was seen as a coup. You know, I'm sure Championship football and, and Tuesday nights in Rotherham weren't on his... I don't know if we're playing Rotherham on a Tuesday, I'll be honest, but, um, you know, weren't in his, in his roadmap for his time at Watford... So we're gonna to have to cut that number of we're gonna to have to cut that number of strikers down. I think Suarez is one they want to build around. So he would be one of them. And then on the other striker, a big question mark could be Gray, could be Dini if he sticks around, could be Jao Pedro. But I have put down for the time being Ishmael Assar in the hope the hope that. No one else will come in at a, a price that we'd be prepared to do business and that we will therefore cling on to him for this season. It just strikes me that although he was obviously very good in flashes last year and, and has drawn admirers, the money that we will ask for a player of his enormous potential might be hard for clubs to stump up in this coronavirus kind of uh, world. And we, you know, we spent thirty-five million on the guy. We're not letting him go without making a tidy profit on him, because that's why club of Watford's size sign a thirty-five million pound player is to yeah. is to flip him at a profit, isn't it? So, I think if yeah. we're going to play with wing backs, if we work on the basis that it might be this kind of three-five-two, three-four-one-two hybrid, I could see him playing as a striker with his pace, getting on the shoulder of the last defender and being a real threat in behind if we play 3-4-3 then you could see him flanking someone like Suarez um, or Murray or Peritza who I think that's how you say his name um, but yeah I think that's the that would be my strongest 11 on paper I suspect we're not going to see Saar 
Uh, I suspect it's probably more likely to be Andre Gray up front. That sounds like a, a pretty decent team there, Tom. Incidentally, uh, both the Watford versus Rotherham fixtures are Tuesday, so I don't know if you knew that somewhere in the back of your mind or not, but uh, that's a massive win for you there. <laughs> I'd like to pretend I did, but as someone who pays basically no attention to the fixtures beyond the first couple and the last one, I definitely can't claim any uh, kind of... Uh, knowledge or uh, <laughs> ability to retain that information yeah well uh, i mean it was a it was a it was a good fluke Ken. good fluke uh <laughs> you know i i like the the team that you've selected there i think that looks like a very strong side given what we think will be players that are available um i did my own one as well and to be honest there was only one change from your lineup and that was uh i had gone for cabaselli instead of uh, Kafkart but I think to, to be honest okay. there is I mean they're both different players but um, they both have their ups and their downs don't they they're, they're, you couldn't pick one of them yeah. and say he's definitely nailed on to be in the team yeah I, I just but I do like Kafkart in as much as he's a bit like Dawson in my mind you know muck and nettles no messing around gets his body in the way gets rid of it and does the basics and I think you know that is um, those are underrated qualities particularly in this division without slipping into kind of cliches um you know you need someone who's going to just put their body on the line and he will certainly do that so that's tom bodell's starting 11 if you have a different starting 11 then do get in touch let us know what that is put that below if you're uh, reading this on twitter or if you're following this on any of the different platforms send us a reply and let us know what your starting 11 is we'll be keen to know if it's uh, if it's different, particularly if uh, if you disagree with any of the choices that we've gone for, um, Tom, it's been a delight to have you on uh, the very first ever Watford Buzz podcast. Thank you, Matt. Really, really enjoyed myself, and uh, I'm sure I'll be back. And especially if the season goes to plan. If not, I might be sulking and hiding somewhere. But no, really enjoyed myself. Thank you. Well, next up, we're going to be talking to Robert Law, who works at BBC Tees. And he's going to be telling us a little bit about the Middlesbrough side that we may be able to expect on Friday night and also what he's preparing for, at least in terms of his notes, for Vladimir Ivic's first ever Watford side. You're listening to the Watford Buzz Podcast. Welcome back to the Watford Buzz podcast. I'm joined now by BBC T sports journalist Rob Law. Rob, thanks for joining me. You've been following Middlesbrough amongst other clubs in the T's catchment for a little while now. And I think with Watford fans having predominantly been focused on the Premier League in recent years, we could do a bit of a reminder of what's been going on at the Borough and how the team has progressed really in the last five years, both on and off the field ahead of the new season. Yeah, well, um, there's no not as many big names, um, no Alvaro Negredos or Victor Valdez that were there last time Middlesbrough were in the Premier League. Um, it's a very different squad, and it's a squad that at this moment in time is very much, Matt, in transition. Um, a lot of the 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 names that came in under uh, Itor Karanka and saw Middlesbrough get promoted, um, they've now moved on. So at the, the end of the season, we saw Adam Clayton leave George Friend. Um, his contract came up uh, to an end as well. And he was very much uh, part and parcel of, of Teesside and 
and and you know it's almost like a, the poster boy of, of Middlesbrough for a long time. So to see him <laughs> leave was a was a big thing. Uh, also, Danny Ayala uh, going out, uh, you know, running out his contract. Uh, Ryan Shotton's gone as well. So it feels like a real turning of the page at Middlesbrough at this moment in time. That a lot of these players who have been at the club for such a long time, you know, experienced players as well who have have been up into the Premier League, know what it's like to get promotion from the Championship. They've moved on now, and a lot of fans are asking, right, well, what's next? Where's the reinforcements? Where's the where's the the next injection? Where's the next uh, the next you know building of the next team that's going to hopefully get Borough back into the Premier League? Where is that coming from? And a lot of question marks. So it is very much still a team uh, in transition, uh, and you know, fans really hoping that. With uh, not very long left of the the transfer window, still a bit of time, but you know the majority of it now has elapsed. Uh, a lot of fans hoping that uh, they can get deals done quickly and and rebuild this team that that is at its bare bones, to be honest. Yeah, I guess a, a team in transition probably on off the back of a a poor season last last year. Is that fair to say? You finished seventeenth, some distance from the playoffs. And also below rivals Derby as well. I bet that probably hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, last season was a roller coaster. Jonathan Woodgate uh, was brought in as head coach, um, you know, and there was this big unveiling of, of Jonathan Woodgate when he arrived. Mm. Uh, you know, very, very glamorous press conference. There was great talk about this golden thread uh, of of players and the, bringing the the next generation of players up from the Middlesbrough Academy, which has got a good reputation in the English game. Um, and then, you know, getting them into the first team and, and really building for the future. That was the, that was how the appointment was sold. If you like, this is, this is going to be a long-term project. And, there was the opening fixture um, of Jonathan Woodgate's tenure, which was very exciting. He said, I want to play exciting football, pressing football, high-energy football. And it worked for the first couple of weeks, and then it very quickly um, disintegrated, really. And, you know, felt for Jonathan Woodgate because he was he was sold mm. um, a, diff- a really difficult task, Matt, in that he had to, you know, recruit from the lower leagues. So we saw Marcus Brown come in uh, from Oxford, uh, Marcus Baller come in as well, Anthony Dykesteele. Those were the three signings he got. And two of them ended out back uh, at their old clubs on loan. And Anthony Dykesteele got a nasty injury, which kept him out for a long time. So it, it was an, a real downward spiral of a season. Um, yeah. And in the end, in the end, uh, Jonathan Woodgate uh, was, was given his marching orders, um, and in came uh, Mister Mister Neil Warnock. So yeah. it was, like was that, from was one that, extreme was, to was the other. Was that a surprise? Was that a surprise? Because Jonathan Woodgate was a bit like the prodigal son returned. You know, he was a young manager, really experienced, and that's the kind of trend that we're seeing these days. Forty-year-old, I, mm. I think he is, and then all of a sudden, Neil Warnock, the complete opposite <laughs> end of the scale, almost seventy-one. <laughs> I, I, I mean. I think people probably expected him to retire a few years ago, but to be fair to him, he's he's been doing the business that the club has been to. And, uh, uh, you know, he certainly knows his way around managing a football team. But was it a surprise appointment? Well, it's funny you say that because he, I think in his first press conference, he joked and he he said, you know, I said I retired and that was about six clubs ago. Um, so to see him, <laughs> to see him at the Riverside, um, you know, the, Jonathan Woodgate, um, 
departing Middlesbrough. That wasn't necessarily a surprise. That was on the seemed like it was on the cards for a long time. Fans were starting to turn, and the results weren't quite happening, and it, a lot of pressure was on the shoulders of Jonathan Woodgate. Um, and then the decision was made. Neil Warnock coming in. You know, there was there was whispers around that it might be Neil Warnock. There was other names mentioned as well, but it made it made sense at the time. Middlesbrough needed a drastic change. They needed a, a drastic input of somebody, as you mentioned, Matt, who knows the championship. They needed that experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he came in and he, he did what he was tasked to do, which was make sure Middlesbrough are playing championship football next season. He got that job done. Yep. Uh, they got some results along the way and he, he got some of the players playing a lot better. Um, and now, now it's see if he can do it uh, over a full season. Yeah, well, you know, he's certainly got some of those players playing better. Talk us through a couple of those of those players that you think are going to be big this season, and also what signings that the clubs made for going into this season as well. And how do you think those uh, those guys will shape up? So uh, last season, one of the standout or a few of the standout performers, even under Jonathan Woodgate, and credit has to go to him for bringing these players through as well, which is uh, Jed Spence. Attacking fullback, lot of pace. Um, you know, came through Fulham's youth system, um, but has been at the Middlesbrough Academy for for a while now. Uh, got his first real taste of um, senior football last season under Woodgate, and then under Neil Warnock as well. Really impressive. He is one of the danger men uh, that Watford will have to look out for. Hayden Coulson is another one similar. Fullback can also play on the the left side of midfield on the left wing. Um, Loves to run at players, you know, very exciting. The type of players that Middlesbrough fans grew up watching, uh, just very direct and get fans off the seat. Um, so those are two for sure who I'm sure will kick on this season under Neil Warnock and the experience he has. Marcus Tavernier is another one, uh, midfielder who likes to get up and support the strikers. Uh, he scored against Shrewsbury um, on Friday in the League Cup. Um, and, and he's a player who, a lot of talk about him, but now it's getting to the point where it's, it's like, OK, he needs to start putting in those performances. We saw it in glimpses last season, and yeah. I, I'm sure he, he himself will want to kick on. But the, the two main ones, Ashley Fletcher, I think it's going to be a big season for him in the Middlesbrough shirt um, mm-hmm. under Neil Warnock. His partnership with Britt Sombolonga as well, who's just been given the captain's armband this season. Um, yeah. I think their partnership, they are very close off the field and they they are almost telepathic on it. Um, so a big part of where Middlesbrough end up this season and what they do and how they perform against Watford on Friday will be down to how those two um, play on the day. Yeah, Britt Sombolonga, you mentioned there, a name of Watford past. He, uh, he never quite made it for us at the time and he's probably ended up being one of the biggest uh, mistakes we've made in letting go because he's got on to some big things. I suppose he's never quite made that step up to the Premier League that perhaps he wants to do himself. Maybe that can be with Middlesbrough. I'm sure that many of the Middlesbrough fans are hoping that's the case. So in terms of the signings then, Grant Hall has come in from QPR. Yeah, so Grant Hall is the only signing at this moment in time as we're, as we're speaking. Um his contract expired at QPR, um, and he, he, the, the signing of Grant Hall, it, you know, it wasn't glamorous. But Neil Warnock was talking a lot about 
how this team needs experience and it needs leaders. That was one of the big things he noticed last season during his eight games um, that he came in charge for uh, towards the back end of the season after Jonathan Woodgate. It is still an area, though, experience, um, leadership, the, the team as a starting eleven is lacking. Um, it's a very young squad. Um, you know, to be honest, the starting eleven isn't that bad. You look at it player to player and you think, it's quite a tidy team, but they're in desperate need of reinforcements on the bench. The bench against Shrewsbury on Friday, I mean, the majority of those players were, were academy players with one or two who maybe got a few substitute appearances towards the back end of last season. So they really need reinforcements in all areas, key areas, defence, midfield, up front as well. I mentioned Ashley Fletcher and Britta Sambalonga, but if one of those get injured, uh, gets injured, there really isn't that cover apart from uh, Stephen Walker, young academy player who seldom played last season and had time out on loan. So there's a lot of, as I said right at the start, Matt, a lot of rebuilding needed to be done. Uh, yeah. The goalkeeping position is an, is another one that uh, needs to be looked at. So there's there's a lot of areas uh, that, that need to be addressed. And Neil Warnock saying in his press conferences in the last couple of weeks just how difficult it is it, difficult a window it has been to try and get players up to Middlesbrough so let's I know a lot of Borough fans are hoping that that will change in the coming days and weeks yeah potentially the longer transfer window might come into play for for Neil Warnock and, and his Middlesbrough side it's uh you mentioned a bit there about Shrewsbury and, and the pre-season friendlies and, and also the the cup game as well but I mean it's been positive really in terms of on the field from from what we've seen from Middlesbrough, do you think that will continue into the into the championship? If you ask Neil Warnock, he'll tell you no. <laughs> he'll, he'll say, <laughs> "Oh, it's rubbish. What happens in preseason friendlies? They don't matter. Um, but better to win them than lose them, right?" So yeah. um, they got a good result against uh, a senior Newcastle side on a behind the closed doors friendly. Obviously, um, some good performances in there. I know Neil Madison, who's our expert summariser on BBC Radio T Sport. He was really excited about um, some of those names that I mentioned earlier. Jed Spence, Hayden Coulson, um, mm-hmm. uh, the strikers partnership with Fletcher and uh, Sambalonga as well. Um, and then the, the result against Shrewsbury in the League Cup. I mean, you know, they had to come from behind. It was a strong side that started for Borough. Um, then they conceded within the first 10 minutes. Okay, it was a worldie top corner from outside the box and really caught Burr on the hop. But, you know, seasons gone by, they might, or especially last season, capitulated there and hung their heads, but they got right back in it um, and won the game 4-3. And I think that the scoreline in itself, Matt, kind of tells you a lot about Middlesbrough and where they are right now in the fact that going forward, they can score goals, but defensively, uh, they are still uh, very short in terms of options and, and experience that I mentioned. How do they play, Rob? Are they uh, are they using three at the back, or they've gone for two at the back? What's what's their system? Yeah, so normally uh, it's a three-five-two. So you'll have the the three uh, centre backs, if you like, and then the the wing backs, uh, Marvin Johnson, who is uh, transformed under Neil Warnock. I have to say, I mean, during his time under um, Jonathan Woodgate. Marvin Johnson did okay, but uh, really flattered to deceive nine times out of ten. But uh, under Neil Warnock, he signed a new contract. He looks really dangerous. He got his confidence back. So he will be one of the wing backs. Uh, Jed Spence, um, 
perhaps the other on on the right hand side, and then Ashley Fletcher, British Sombolonga up front with uh, Marcus Tavernier supporting from the midfield in that sort of floating number ten uh, role, if you like. But okay, it's so, uh, yeah. Uh, they they do like to try and play. They, they, yeah, they do like to try and play. And uh, and as I mentioned before, you know that how they play determines is determined a lot by the the front two. What do you think the biggest dangers are that that the Middlesbrough side is going to be facing? I mean, it could be difficult for you to even choose because it's, with Watford at the minute, it's uh it's difficult to know how many of the uh, the big players that we had in the Premier League last year are actually going to be available. But um, I think it's probably more likely that the team that you may have seen playing in the uh, in the friendlies is going to be the team it would not too dissimilar to that that is playing you on friday so what do you think the biggest dangers are i tell you what i think um it, it's it's really it's really tough it's really tough i think any team that comes down from the premier league um needs to be taken seriously and you know watford have, have managed to invest um players invest in, and bring players in as well um so i i just think no matter which team Watford put out, um, they, they're going to want to start the championship season. They're going to want to start it with a bang um, and, and get off on the right foot, as any team in the championship. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Um, you know, Teams want to get off to a good start. I think Watford will come out strong and really try and see this as an opportunity to put, um, to put a marker down, really, against a, a Middlesbrough side. You know, okay, maybe not, uh, as many glamorous names and as you know the the pulling power that they once had, but still a big name in the championship, and it's a chance for them to do exactly that and and really show okay this is you know this is us this is Watford we're back and we mean business. Um, I think Middlesbrough w- will. Um, I just I think it's going to be a really really hotly contested game because Middlesbrough know that Watford, one of the former Premier League sides. This is also an opportunity for Middlesbrough to put down a marker and say, right, we, you know, we mean business this season. I think it could go, honestly, it, either way, but I'm, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm sitting here from a Middlesbrough perspective. Um, I, I think Middlesbrough could possibly maybe nick it, um, but I, I think it requires Middlesbrough, you know, 1-11 to to be, to be on the job. Uh, absolutely absolutely on it from the start well unfortunately it's going to be a game that uh, fans aren't going to be able to be uh, in attendance for because of the the covid rules that are still in place but uh, most teams are setting up with a uh, live stream and I believe Middlesbrough is uh, similar in that position is that the case yeah that's the case so the way it works um, they've got the live stream Uh, we've obviously got uh, have the full match commentary on BBC Radio T's uh, Sport on uh, uh, 95FM is where you find us. We're also on uh, DAB Digital Radio. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, our, our commentary is part of the, the stream as well. So that's, oh, nice. it's very, oh, nice. it's, it's strange, isn't it? It's really, it's a very strange world in which we find ourselves in as, as football yeah. fans, as yeah. as sport journalists. Um you know, a lot of a lot of sport journalists not being able to get to the games because there's, you know, press restrictions because of the COVID guidelines as well. So, I mean, it, it is really uh, strange. And the one thing that's for sure, Matt, and I'm sure you found this as well with whichever sport you've you've watched um, over the summer and you know the back end of last season when the restart happened, which is 
I just can't wait for fans to be back. I honestly oh, can't. It makes oh, a massive yeah. difference to, yeah. to what we do. Um, and also, I mean, just to the game and the spectacle itself, I don't think there's one sport out there uh, that benefits from having no fans. Um, it, they are everything to do with sport. Um, and I just cannot wait for the day. Can you just imagine the day when, you know, hopefully this this all goes away and we're allowed to shake hands and hug our loved ones again. And yeah. as part of that, yeah. you know, oh. we don't have to social distance. And there's going to be in Middlesbrough, sold out Riverside Stadium. There's going to be a sold out Watford ground as well. And players walking out the tunnel and that first roar when the when the players emerge from the tunnel. I cannot wait for that yeah. moment. Yeah, um, no, I, I just think no, it's going to be something that, and I hope clubs as well um, really see the impact of fans. That's one thing that I hope comes out of this is that you know fans. A lot of fans have been priced out of football games for a long time now, Matt. And hopefully, this is something that sees football clubs, makes them realise just how important fans are to their football club, whichever club you support. Absolutely, Rob. That was. Uh... Very well said. Very well said indeed. So um, let's uh, end on uh, a couple of uh, predictions then. So uh, the season prospects, uh, I mean, if you look at last season, you'd, you'd think mid-table this year would be decent. But can you can you do better than that? Do you think playoffs is a possibility? You know what? Um, we we had this discussion on the, on the radio the other night. And um, this is what I said the other night. And this is what I'll say today. So I think if the squad remains, if Middlesbrough squad remains the same, I think top 10 would be a good season. If they do get the reinforcements that they need, then, you know, if, with Neil Warnock in charge, um, if they can push towards, towards a playoff place, I think that would be a very, very good season. But it all depends, Matt, on who they can bring in and if they can bring in the bodies that they need, I think. Well, it'd be great to see Neil Warnock back in the Premier League again. I mean, that would be, that would, that would be a joy, wouldn't it? So, uh, okay then, Rob, uh, let's have a score prediction then for you for Friday. Um, what, what do you reckon? What's, uh, what's your feeling? Right. Uh, like I said earlier, I think, I'm, I think Middlesbrough, if they're on the, if they're on the game, um, you know, maybe Watford uh, underestimating Middlesbrough um, uh, and, and maybe taking yeah, their foot off the yeah. pedal slightly. But I, I'm going to go, I don't think Middlesbrough can stop Watford from scoring, given um, just what we've seen in pre-season um, and what we saw against Shrewsbury. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Middlesbrough win. Sorry, Watford fans. That's okay. That's okay. We don't begrudge you going for Middlesbrough. Although what I would say is I probably wouldn't put a bet on that one unless you want some good odds, which you'll probably get. You'll probably get some good odds for that. Okay, Rob. Well, thanks for joining me on the Watford Buzz podcast. That's Rob Law there, BBC T Sports Journalist. And if you want to catch the game uh, from a probably Middlesbrough skewed perspective, you can find the game on BBC T's uh, when it's being played on Friday night. Of course, other coverages are available all across the web and, uh, well, I think it's on TV as well. So it'll be, a, it'll be a classic one for you to get your teeth into. That's sadly us out of time for today, but please retweet this show, post it in our Watford Facebook groups, give us a follow on Twitter at Watford Pod, all that jazz. And if you support us, we'll be able to keep on making content just like this for Watford fans to listen to. I've been Matt Messiano, and if you want to chat to me, you can find me on Twitter at Mezzi Messiano. So all that's left to be said is, come on Watford. Bye for now. Bye.
a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 